I'm going to be reading to you from the summer of 1935. The Dream Piano, my silent mother, I can touch you. You are cool and smooth and willing to stay with me. Stay with me, talk to me. Uncomplaining, you accept the cover to your keys, and still you make room for all that I place there. We close our eyes together, and together find that stillness like a pond, a pond when the wind is quiet and the surface glazes, gazing unblinking at the blue sky. I play songs that have only the pattern of myself in them, and you hum along, supporting me. You are the companion to myself, the mirror with my mother's eyes. July 1935. Midnight Truth. I am so filled with bitterness. It comes from the dust. It comes from the silence of my father. It comes from the absence of Ma. I could have loved her better. She could have loved me too. But she's rock and dust and wind now. She's carved stone. She's holding my stone brother. I have given my father so many chances to understand, to reach out, to love me. He once did. I remember his smile, his easy talk. Now there's nothing easy between us. Sometimes he takes notice of me, like coming after me in the dust. But mostly I'm invisible. Mostly I'm alone. My father's digging his own grave. He calls it a pond, but I know what he's up to. He is rotting away like his father, ready to leave me behind in the dust. Well, I'm leaving first. Out of the dust. This is not a dream. There's no comfort in dreams. I try to contain the ache as I leave my bed. I try to still my heart as I slip from my room with my kerchief of dimes. Moving slowly down the stairs, I cross through the kitchen, taking only some biscuits, and leave my father's house. It's the middle of the night, and I hear every sound inside me, outside me. I go, knowing that I'll die if I stay, that I'm slowly, surely smothering. I walk through the calm night under the stars. I walk to where the train stops long enough for a long-legged girl to latch on. And as my heart races, I feel the earth tremble beneath me. And then the sound of sharp knives, metal against metal, as the train pulls up to the station. Once, I might have headed east to Mr. Roosevelt. Now I slip under cover of darkness inside a boxcar and let the train carry me west, out of the dust. Gone west. I am still and sore in two endless days on this train. I have burned in the desert, shivered in the mountains. I have seen the camps of dust bowl migrants along the tracks. There was one girl. I saw her through the slat in the boxcar. She stared up at the passing train. She stood by the tracks watching, and I knew her. Something lost, something gained. He climbed into my car. He's dirty, 
and he has a sour smell. His eyes are ringed by the soil that comes from riding trains. But there's a deeper shadow to those eyes, like ashes, like death. He needs a hair comb and a shave and a mending needle applied to his pants. He speaks to me. Where are you from, miss? He wants to know. He shows me a picture of his family. A wife, three boys. The photograph is all he carries. That and the shredding, stinking clothes on his back. I feed him two of the stale biscuits I've been hoarding and save the rest. I'll be hungry tonight, what with giving my day's biscuits away. But I can see the gaunt of hunger in his cheeks. He asks if I have water and I shake my head, my tongue thick with thirst. He eats the biscuits. He doesn't care, they're caked with dust. He finishes eating and crumbs stick to his mustache. He's staring hard at me and his eyes water. I've done it again, he says, taken food from a child. I show him my cloth bag with more biscuits. At home, he said, I couldn't feed them. Couldn't stand the baby always crying, and my wife always that dark look following me. Couldn't take no more. Lost our land. They tractored us out, so as we had to leave. Rented a while, then moved in with Lucille's kin. Couldn't make nothing grow. I nodded. I know. We talked as the train rocked, as the cars creaked, as the miles showed nothing but empty space. We talked through the pink of the setting sun and into the dark. I told him about Ma dying. I told him about my father and how the thing that scared us both the most was being left alone. And now I'd gone and left him. I told him about the piano and Arlie Wanderdale and how I wasn't certain of the date, but I thought it might be my birthday. But he was sleeping by then, I think. He was like tumbleweed. Ma had been tumbleweed, too, holding on for as long as she could, then blowing away on the wind. My father was more like the sod, steady, silent, and deep, holding on to life with reserves underneath to sustain him, and me and anyone else who came near. My father stayed rooted, even with my tests and my temper, even with the double sorrow of his grief and my own, he had kept a home until I broke it. When I woke, the man was gone, and so were my biscuits. But under my hat, I found the photograph of his family. The wife and three boys. Maybe the photograph was left in trade for the biscuits. Maybe it was a birthday gift. The one thing he had left to give. The children in the picture were clean and serious looking out with certain longing. The baby had his eyes. On the back of the photograph, in pencil, was the address of his family in Moline, Kansas. First chance, I'd send the picture back. Let his wife know he was still alive. I got off the train in Flagstaff, Arizona. A lady from a government agency saw me. She gave me water and food. I called Mr. Hardley from her office and asked him to let my father know I was coming home. Homeward Bound Getting away, it wasn't any better, just different. 
and lonely. Lonelier than the wind, emptier than the sky, more silent than the dust, piled in drifts between me and my father. Met. My father's waiting at the station, and I call him Daddy for the first time since Ma died, and we walk home together talking. I tell him about getting out of the dust and how I can't get out of something that's inside me. I tell him he is like the sod, and I am like the wheat, and I can't grow everywhere, but I can grow here with a little rain, with a little care, with a little luck. And I tell him how scared I am about those spots on his skin, and I see he's scared too. I can't be my own mother, I tell him. And I can't be my own father. And if you're both going to leave me, well, what am I supposed to do? And when I tell Daddy so, he promises to call Doc Rice. He says the pond is done. We can swim in it once it fills. And he'll stock it with fish, too. Catfish that I can go out and catch of an evening and fry up. He says I can even plant flowers if I want. As we talk together side by side in the swell of dust, I am forgiving him step by step for the pail of kerosene. And as we walk together side by side in the soul deep dust, I am forgiving myself for all the rest. After hearing those sections from Out of the Dust read aloud, I want you to think about three or four different questions that I have. You can write the questions down on your sticky notes, and after you've thought about them, jot down possible answers. The first question to think about is what you think the piano is a symbol of as Billy describes her emotions as she plays the piano and thinks about how important the piano is to her. Sometimes fate and unexplainable things affect our perspectives. Explain how the unplanned meeting of the stranger on the train changes Billy's perspective about her experiences.
third question to think about deals with Billy and her father once they meet again. How are Billy's feelings towards her dad and herself changing after her experience of running away and now reuniting with him? final question to think about involves the idea of themes that have been woven throughout the book thus far. How do the sections you just listened to help develop themes about Billy and how she is changing and things that she's learning about herself and others around her? Hopefully you had enough time to jot down some of the questions that were posed for you. Take time now to come up with some answers to those questions as you listen to the music that follows. <laughs>